This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is our first post-game podcast for ECU Football 2020. I wish we could be bringing you better news, but unfortunately for ECU, it was a tough season opener, a 51-28 loss to the number 13 UCF Knights. Really about what we all expected. UCF, probably the much better team right now, the, the program that is further ahead based on past success and preseason rankings, all that sort of stuff. So ECU made it interesting for a little bit, 7-0 lead early, but then gave up 41 unanswered points to the Knights, and uh, UCF really rolled away with it from there. And we are going to break down this game for the next little bit or so. Uh, I'd like now to welcome in uh, today's guest co-host. He was at Daddy Ficklin Stadium covering the game with me today. He is Hoist the Colors contributor and current ECU student and intern Jonathan Wagner, Jonathan, welcome into the program. And unfortunately, we're not recapping a win, but at least we did get to see some football today. You know, like you said, too bad it's not a win, but I was glad to be back in there watching some live football. So glad to be here. Yeah, it's. I guess you can kind of say we're a little lucky that we were uh, one of the few people to be there and to watch the game. You know, we got to see some stuff in person that maybe others on TV didn't see. It was. It was just a. First, before we jump into the game, how unique was it? And, of course, you've been covering games with me since last year uh, a little bit. But just how weird was it going to the stadium and no fans, uh, first off, so we could kind of drive up right next to the stadium park wherever we wanted to for the most part. And uh, just a really odd atmosphere altogether. Right, yeah, it was really weird. Uh, um, usually you or you drive up, no matter which way you come, there's there's always people tailgating out there with their food cooking on the grill, but there was nothing today, and it's really weird. And you think you get in there pregame before the game even starts. You know, the band, the pregame show, it's all recorded, and it's playing on the big screen. So it was just really weird, but I guess that's what the new normal is for now. Yeah, the new normal is uh, virtual band, virtual cl- crowd. Um, so the whole thing was just odd, and... Uh, for each, we'll start at the beginning. We'll start with the good. Uh, ECU's offense comes right down the field, and really you couldn't have drawn up a much better drive outside of maybe a few penalties. C.J. Johnson had a bad uh, late hit personal foul that I, you know, I personally tweeted at the time. Well, that's the drive killer. Uh, it turns out it's not because uh, I believe the next play, Holton Aylers hit Audio Matosho for a first down, but Aylers finds Darius Penix. For a 17-yard score, the Pirates start the season off with a touchdown drive, 7-0. Uh, and really from there, you, you felt pretty good outside of the fact UCF, of course, uh, 
they go score. And, um, you know, 7-7, a really even though ECU kind of turned the ball over the next few series, we'll start with the first quarter, Jonathan. Only 10-7 to at the end of one. I think one of the big themes going into the game was, okay, 10, you know, if we can keep this thing close, if you're ECU, you feel pretty good after a quarter of play. ECU was able to do that. It was 10-7 to after one. Absolutely, and you got to think, you mentioned the turnovers. We ECU scored on their opening possession. The following three possessions fumbled and they lost it. UCF recovered. So I think to come out of that first quarter and early second quarter only down by a possession, they had a huge break, and they kept them. the defense really kept them in the game. The defense came up, and they held UCF to three points on those three fumbles. And I think that was big. It kept them in the game. And how you know frustrating is it if you're ECU – we talk all offseason maybe about the experience on the offensive side of the ball. We knew the defense was going to be young, but your three fumbles, you know, Chase Hayden, new to the program, yes, but has SEC experience. First carry as a pirate, coughs it up deep in ECU territory. Um, so, that you know, you have a junior fumble in there. Then you have your junior quarterback, Holt Naylors, who, you know, I give him lots of credit for making the play, but probably needs to get down and slide in that situation. So your junior quarterback, unfortunately, fumbles the football there. And then the next series, Darius Penix, your most experienced running back and your most familiar running back to ECU fans, then he fumbles. So it's not like it was brand-new guys, brand-new freshmen fumbling. So that was probably the most disappointing thing. And we'll get into more of this as we go along, Jonathan. But just the offense as a whole, you wrote an article on it for Hoist the Colors earlier um, pretty disappointing from the standpoint of the offense. We kind of expected them to carry the defense early in the season, and today it just was not it. You know, Holt Naylor's only throws the ball 29, or 29 times, you know, he completes 14. Uh, 29 pass attempts compared to 54 runs was one of the biggest takeaways I had, and, and really it's, the offense started to stall in that second quarter. Just what were your thoughts on maybe the offense not performing up to standard? Right, and I think – my coach Houston mentioned it post game. Holton mentioned it post game, but they know they're better than what they showed today. And for me, I think one of my biggest takeaways was our big three, if you will, receivers. CJ CJ Johnson targeted five times, two catches for fifty two yards and a score. Prol, he was only targeted twice, caught both catches for nineteen yards, and then Tyler Sneed targeted seven times, had a few big drops. Um, and two catches. So for me, I think coming into the year, you know, the receiving group was probably one of the biggest strengths in my eyes. Yeah. And you know, CJ Johnson. Go ahead. I was just going to say CJ Johnson, you know, he's a playmaker. He gets down the field, he gets open and Ehlers hits them. They have a connection, but they just didn't seem to have that today. Yeah. No real deep shots down the field. For the most part, I was a little surprised at that. UCF liked to play a lot of man coverage. Uh, they liked to get up in the face of ECU's receivers or any receivers they face. They did that today. That was one thing that I really thought ECU would take some shots down the field. Now, watching it live, they did seem to uh, shade a safety over to C.J. Johnson's side, which kind of took away the deep throws. But, you know, I would have personally liked to see them put Omotosho and CJ in at the same time. Omotosho is a big guy, probably can stress the field a little bit. He made a couple nice plays today. And if they were going to shade a safety over to CJ's side, I would have liked to see them uh, take a shot over the top to Omotosho or maybe even Prohl, who's got some speed and 
you know, Snead, a smaller guy, seemed to struggle a little bit with the the man coverage. Um, so hopefully he can pick it up. But overall, just a disappointing day for the for the passing game. You know, 215 yards for Holton Aylers, and I believe he had 105 passing yards after two series. So uh, really cooled off. And, and I think, you know, I've already seen – this is what I love about game day. And, you know, I've already seen multiple ECU fans suggest Holton Aylers should play tight end after uh after today's game which is one of the more classic uh go-to lines for ecu fans when holton Aylers, you know has a an off performance but you know there's a lot more to it than just him you know the receivers drop passes you had cj with at least one drop sneed with a drop uh there may have been another that i, I can't remember the offensive line despite um th- despite offensive coordinator donnie kirkpatrick keeping in a tight end keeping in a running back to block, they really allowed a lot of pressures. You know, Holton Aylers was on the run a lot. He was under pressure. He wasn't able to set his feet. If you go back and watch the game and you compare Holton Aylers in the pocket and the time he had to UCF's quarterback Dylan Gabriel, uh, it was night and day. And, yes, Holton should have made some throws, and he should have made the interception. But I think there's a lot more to it than just Holton having a an off day. This, is a, this was an offensive problem overall in my opinion I thought the play calling could have been a little better in certain points and uh I just think the offense as a whole like he wrote Jonathan just looked out of sync and never really could outside of that first drive kind of piece together um you know multiple series where they just looked efficient right and I think part of it for me early on was rotating running backs first drive you roll out with Darius Penix and he didn't have a whole lot of success on the ground in the first drive. Second second possession, you come out with Chase Aiden, he fumbles, he gets a nice ten yard gain and fumbles it. So for me, I think it's just it's the first game action in a year for these guys, and I think they're just kind of getting acclimated to each other. Because while they might have a lot of people returning in key positions, there are still a lot of new faces. And it's the first time these guys are able to play together. Yeah, the running back thing is is gonna be interesting. Uh, you know the even with the fumbles, I saw some very bright spots out of all four of those guys that played. Keaton Mitchell, Raji Harris, Chase Hayden, Darius Penix. Uh, you look at the numbers. I thought Keaton Mitchell and Raji in particular looked really good late. Now, I, I do want to pump the brakes on those guys. You know, hey, let's start them next week. They look great. They were running against mainly the second team, UCF defense, and UCF was playing you know off a little bit. So I want to see them do that earlier in the game. But I thought all four backs showed something. Um, you end the day with 54 carries for 244 yards, which is, is a 4.5 yards per carry average, which is better uh, than what ECU had for most of last year. So that is promising at least. Um, but like you hit on, Jonathan, what what's the rotation at running back going to be going for? Because I don't think you want to be rotating running backs every series or every other series. Yes, you've got some talented guys, but it, it really hinders the offense from getting into a rhythm. Um and I do like what I see out of Keaton Mitchell, Raji Harris, Hayden, and Penix. But I do think they probably should try and decide on, hey, let's go with these two guys primarily until maybe one of them fumbles. Because if you're just rotating four backs the whole game, that that makes it tough uh, for, for East Carolina. So uh, those are some takeaways on the offensive side of the ball, you know, with the struggles there. Um, you know, let's switch over to the defensive side, Jonathan. Blake Carroll, new defensive coordinator. We all knew this was going to be a – pretty unfair first game challenge I mean you're facing an offense that ranked in the top five nationally in virtually every category last season and you you come out with 
I think, seven or eight first-time starters for the defense and a new defensive coordinator, a new defensive scheme, no spring practice. You look at the numbers at the end of the day, 632 yards allowed on 87 offensive plays, 7.3 yards per play, uh, 51 points. All that sounds pretty bad, but watching the game, I actually thought that there were times that they they you know looked pretty good. They were they were flying around. They showed some promise. I think there's some stuff to build off there. I just think you've got to continue to improve on the mistakes. But I like what I saw from what Blake Carroll called as far as the defense goes. Absolutely, and I think, like I mentioned earlier, ECU's first three possessions on offense fumbles. But the defense held UCF to three total points on those three turnovers. Um, so UCF came out, and I believe they had a field goal, a turn- turnover on downs, and a punt. So that was huge for the defense, and they looked really good early on, I thought. But I think as the game kind of wore on, and they were on the field more and more, and like you mentioned, Dylan Gabriel is really good. So it's it's tiring facing that UCF offense consistently so frequently since they were on the field so much. It was tough, and I thought they just wore down as the game went on. Yeah, and so many new guys. We we, we touched on it earlier. Um, you know, Xavier Smith at linebacker, Bruce Bivens at linebacker, you know, Tank Robinson at safety and corner Jaquan McMillan are really the only established guys that you returned. And everybody else was pretty much either learning a new role, making their first career start, getting their first action. Uh, I thought the aggressive play con style was good to see. Blake Carroll brought a lot of blitzes. They were able to get to uh, Gabriel, at least force him to throw the ball away or, or make some rush throws a few times, which was good to see. Because last year they would just sit back and base defense and not really bring much pressure. And, you know, it would be frustrating because def- offensive would just have their way and ECU wouldn't really make adjustments. I thought Blake Carroll at least tried to draw up some different things. And UCF, it took them a while to, to really figure out what ECU was doing, but once they did, they start hitting those little RPO screen passes to the flats, and ECU's corner struggled to get off block. So that's something ECU's going to have to work on going forward. They've got to find a way. They can't be giving up seven to eight-yard cushion and, and five- to six-yard gains on those plays, or else teams are just going to take them all day long. So that's something that... I'll look at going forward. Um, you know, a couple guys who stood out on defense to me, Sean Dorso, the, the JUCO transfer safety, Robert Kennedy, another JUCO transfer safety. I thought both those guys made some very promising plays. You know, they were in the right spots, and they made some big hits. They forced a few incompletions that otherwise would have been completions. Um, Xavier Smith looked pretty good at linebacker. Jaquan McMillan looked like Jaquan McMillan. So, I thought I thought Jaira uh, Wilson at at the Sam linebacker spot also looked good in his first career start. So some promising developments, and, and all those guys I just named, none of them are seniors. Most of them are underclassmen. So this is going to be a building process, and I did see some good things. Did anybody stand out to you defensively uh, from what you saw? Uh, you mentioned Sean Dorso. He stood out to me. I thought he played really well. Um, even someone like Nolan Johnson made a couple big plays in the passing game and was able to break up a couple passes on third down um and like you said xavier smith had a big game i think as the inside linebacker but to me i was really impressed with sean dorso more so than anyone i think yeah he looked good and and coming out of juco last year he had seven picks which ranked near the top of junior college so 
I think he's a guy who's going to create some turnovers. He covered a lot of ground. He hits well. Kennedy does the same thing. Um, you look at you know the safety position as a whole. I thought overall it was a pretty good day. You know, Jawan Powell unfortunately had a big coverage bust on the 64-yard touchdown to Jalen Robinson, the Oklahoma transfer, which made it I think a 13-7 game to a 20-7 game. So that was kind of a back-breaking touchdown, a freebie that ECU can't afford to give up versus a team like that. But, uh, you know, they rotated a ton along the defensive line. You know, I'm looking at the names here. Uh, Rick DeAbreu, Emmanuel Hickman, Jose Haji Badri, Demir Faison, D'Angelo McKinney, Dre Terry, Chad Stevens, Travion Freshwater, Xavier McIver. So, I mean, you played a ton. I think Elijah Morris got in there a good bit. Um, you know, so they played a ton of defensive linemen. And again, all these guys are freshmen and sophomores. I mean, they're just going to need time to develop. You know, I'd like to, um, before we, we get into the special teams, I'd like to, again, urge people to not overreact to this one game. You know, you're playing a top 15 team that's already got a game under their belt. They're the premier, most talented team in the American. You've got an ECU team that's learning so so much on the fly that didn't have spring practice, so many new players, and you know, yes, I was disappointed by the offense, but we got to continue to stay patient. I think I think we'll know a lot more uh, after Georgia State uh, in the coming weeks. You know, if that game is played after South Florida, um, some of the other games in, in the weeks to come. So uh, that that's just kind of how I feel as far as assessing this defense, assessing this thing. But um, special teams wise, it was interesting, Jonathan. They used uh, they used multiple punters. John Young and Luke Larson both kicked, and it's very rare you see two healthy punters kind of rotating in a football game. Right. I thought that was interesting. Um, to me, it looked like John Young was kind of used when ECU was closer to midfield, and they were trying to pin UCF deep into their own territory, and I think he did a good job at that. But Luke Larson came in, and I think he was more he, he was more of a power leg, and wanted to kick it as far as he could um, when ECU wasn't in as great as field position. Yeah, that's kind of the takeaway I got as well, and it'll be interesting to see what the plan is there going forward. You know, are they going to continue that rotation of punters? Are they going to do, you know, are they going to go with the, the hot leg, I guess, so to speak? I don't know. It's just kind of unique. Um, you know, something we didn't touch on, Jonathan, how about the penalties, man? On both sides, uh, 19 penalties for 139 yards for UCF, which started the game with four consecutive false starts, which was probably the most hilarious thing I've ever seen in my life in an empty stadium. Uh, ECU, 11 penalties for 105 yards. Uh, so you got two teams that combined for 30 penalties for more than 140 yards. Man, this was a this was far from a clinic as far as clean football. I will tell you what, I have never seen anything like that first UCF possession. And they weren't just four false starts on the drive. They were four false starts back to back to back to back. And UCF all by different had, players. Right. And UCF ended up with, a, I believe, first and 30 from around the ECU five, or the, their own five. And that was a play. They converted it. They got a first down. They went on to score. But I've never seen anything like that. On an, especially by a 13th ranked team 
on their first possession. Yeah, I, I've never I've never seen three false starts in a row. I've ne- I've certainly never seen four false starts in a row, and I've never seen five false starts on one drive. And I've never seen a team overcome that many false starts or this many penalties and still win a game easily, uh, which I do think speaks to UCF's talent level. Like you mentioned, Jonathan, just the to have a first and 30 inside your own 10 and to, to pretty much pretty easily pick up the first down uh, is pretty crazy. So that was uh, I thought that was a missed opportunity by ECU for sure. You know, Dylan, the the funny the funniest stat you pointed out to me after that drive, Dylan Gabriel had a hundred yards passing on a seventy-five yard drive, and that would be kind of the day that he went on the have because the the lefty UCF quarterback goes thirty-two of forty-seven, four hundred eight yards, four touchdowns, no picks. He wasn't sacked once. Um, this UCF offense is legit, and I think it's it, it's important for ECU fans to realize that. Uh, this is a legitimate top 15 team. They expect to win every game they play. Josh Heupel, you know, he he stepped into a, a very good job. But to his credit, I'm not the biggest Josh Heupel fan in the world, but to his credit, he's kept this thing rolling. And, and I'd be very surprised if they're not in the AAC championship at the end of the year. Absolutely. The, the offense, and I wrote about it earlier in the week, but they just have a surplus of weapons. Greg McRae was banged up, but he played. He had a big day. Um, Thompson, Richardson both had big runs in that backfield. And Marlon Williams, 13 catches for 136 yards. And then Robinson, nine catches for 150 and two touchdowns. They just have a surplus of weapons. Even if one man goes down, Trey Nixon did not play in this game. But they were still almost even unstoppable. They're just that deep. Yeah, no Trey Nixon, and they still roll for now the second consecutive game because they lost Trey Nixon, I think, late in the second quarter against Georgia Tech. And for those who are unfamiliar, Trey Nixon, their number one receiver, they lost him then. And then this Marlon Williams guy, and obviously Jalen Jalen Robinson, the Oklahoma transfer, they have really stepped up and have helped take this this UCF offense to the next level, if they can even go to another level because – uh, they are just operating. They go at warp speed. They operate such an efficient level. It's uh, it's pretty amazing what they do. And something else I wanted to get um, your take on, Jonathan. We we kind of touched on it earlier as we look at this game as a whole. Of course, you know we're, we were kind of going quarter by quarter, but really the game ended in the second quarter for most <laughs> for most intents and purposes because uh, UCF goes up forty-one-seven heading into the third or heading into the fourth quarter I believe or at some point in the, the third quarter they went up 41-7 after 41 unanswered and the game was pretty much a route from there but ECU at the end of the at the end of the day they run 83 plays 29 pass attempts to 54 rush attempts you know we talk a lot about this ECU offense needing to have balance but I would have never predicted that ECU would almost run the ball twice as much as they would throw it uh, that was a very surprising stat to me a lot of that did come in garbage time, but I really thought ECU would air the football out more. What were your thoughts on the the, the run attempts compared to uh, the pass attempts? Yeah, I think you said it. Um, a lot of it came in garbage time. I think the staff was trying to get Mitchell and Harris touches, contact. I think contact was a big thing. They 
haven't had a chance to face game contact. And today was our chance, and I think they did a good job as the game went on running the ball. But, I mean, I think in a game where you're down so big, I definitely think it's fair to question why you're not throwing the ball, trying to play catch up a little bit, especially in the second and third quarter. It still felt like, to me at least, um, they were just running the ball a lot. And credit to them, they know more than I do. But personally, I I was really surprised that Ehlers didn't have more like 35 to 40 passing attempts as opposed to 29. Yeah, maybe it just was simply a situation. And again, I, I'm really looking forward to going back and, and evaluating the film because I haven't had a chance to yet. Uh, maybe the offensive line was so bad in pass protection that they simply didn't think that they could drop back 35, 40 times. You know, Holton was sacked twice. I believe he was hurried officially three or four times, and that's usually when a guy is getting smacked in the face. So there were probably a lot more hurries in there as well. But to only throw the ball, and and we should point out too, Holton had multiple scrambles. You know, he had 12 rushes. You know, there were probably only a handful of design runs, so they probably dropped back to pass six or seven more times than what the stats show. But again, the the pressure turned those plays into attempted runs. So maybe not as skewed as what we're seeing on paper, but still, you know, you're playing a UCF team that historically plays man coverage, stacks the box, and forces you to beat them with your arms. So maybe it's encouraging that ECU was able to run for 4.5 yards per carry. But still, at the end of the day, you hit on it earlier uh, Blake Prohl, only two targets, uh, I believe. C.J. Johnson, only three or four targets. Tyler Sneed, he had, what, three targets? You got to get your stars the football. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you can't outthink yourself. You've got all these new weapons. That's important to get them involved. But I think you've got to make a conscious effort to get Tyler Sneed the football, to get Blake Prohl the football, to get C.J. Johnson the football. And Audio Matosho. Uh, he had, what, three catches, and I don't know if he actually had more targets after halftime. It seemed like um, after hitting him early, they kind of went away from that, and I want to see ECU get the ball in his playmaker's hands, and you can't do that unless you're throwing the football. So, um, you know, there, there is a fine line between forcing it and trying to get your, your playmakers involved as much as possible, but uh, I think we'll see a much – much greater effort to get the football to those guys next week. Right, I completely agree. And you mentioned Audio Matosho. He did have five targets, tied with C.J. Johnson for second on the team. Snead ended up having seven targets. But Omatosho, he was the team's, I would say, one of their best players in the first half overall. But like you said, it just seemed like in the second half, I think he maybe got one second-half target from what I can remember off the top of my head. But moving forward, if ECU's offense wants to live up to their potential, they're going to have to get the ball to their big-name guys. Tyler Snead, two catches on seven targets. That is not going to get it done. And Honestly, I don't even remember him having that many targets. So that's Maybe he was just so blanketed by the UCF man coverage, I, I can't recall him uh, being targeted. But that is uh, – you know, at least they did try to get the ball to him as opposed to, um, you know, C.J., your star only getting five targets, which I will say, CJ, he made that crucial mistake early in the game with the penalty, and then he had a drop or two. So uh, he's got to clean up some things if he wants to truly be this team's star number one receiver. He's got to keep maturing, 
He wants to be an NFL guy. He's got all the talent in the world, but there are some things he's got to clean up uh, just watching the game from up top. So hopefully he can continue to mature and do that. Otherwise, I think we will see Omotosho get some snaps in his place going forward. Uh, Keaton Mitchell was another guy who had two catches who I thought looked pretty good. So uh, looking forward to seeing how they distribute those. But I would expect a lot more than 29 pass attempts if they can keep holding Aylers upright uh, going forward. Uh, before we get into the questions to wrap this thing up, Jonathan, um, next week, I don't know what's going to happen as we record this on Saturday night. Georgia State canceled this game with Charlotte due to contact tracing. Mike Houston, I will say, after the game, pretty optimistic that that game's going to happen. So uh, if it does happen, an opportunity for a win for ECU. But I think we're going to be looking at a very interesting week ahead. Right, absolutely. Um, Houston, he was very confident that the game's going to be played, and I think they're going to prepare as if they're going to play, as they're going to every week. But next week's a big opportunity. It's a winnable football game, and I think the team's going to come out ready and hoping they can improve themselves. So I'm excited for it. All right, let's get into these questions before we wrap up uh, the episode. Um, Only a few... I could pers- I could uh, look over the entire Hoist of Colors message board and pick out a lot more, but um, I'm going to isolate it to this one thread so we're not here all night. Uh, Tarbura Bill asks, when does baseball season start? So, <laughs> so um, baseball season starts in February, and at least historically, I don't know what it's going to be this year with all the, the COVID stuff, but... Uh, hopefully it starts on time in February and he was being tongue in cheek with that question, obviously, but, uh, I am excited for some pirate baseball. What about you, Jonathan? For sure. If any of you guys know me or follow me on Twitter, then you know that baseball season is my, probably my favorite season. Um, I'm a big baseball guy, so I'm excited for it. I think they have a really talented roster and a deep roster. So I'm really excited for baseball season and, see what we can bring out there's your baseball preview from jonathan we'll get more into that as we go along we'll have a lot of baseball coverage on the podcast uh pirate backers got a few questions for us we'll start with the first one watching in real time today who was our most surprising newcomer um i'll take this one first you know we we hit on dorso but i'm gonna go keaton mitchell i th- i thought keaton mitchell would contribute, but he looked better than I thought he'd be. He was good between the tackles as a smaller guy, and he was really good in space. So I'm looking forward to seeing more out of Keaton Mitchell. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's that's who I was going to say, too. Um, I also think that Raji Harris, late in the game, had a very, very good couple of possessions. He had a deep 20- to 30-yard rushing touchdown that was taken back by a penalty. So really, he should have been up closer to 60 to 70 yards in a rushing touchdown. Um, I thought he looked really good late. Chase Hayden, too. I was a big fan of his outside of the fumble. And like you mentioned, just Dorso. So I think there were quite a few good performances from newcomers. Pirate Becker also asked, which returning player stepped up and impressed you today? Uh, maybe someone who has not received this many snaps in past seasons. Again, I think a, n- a number of those guys, too, because you got, of course, the newcomers, but you've also got so many guys stepping into new roles. Um, you know, you could go Omotosho here. 
Uh, I'm personally, you know, you could, some many guys on the defensive line. D'Angelo McKinney had a good day uh, at nose tackle, I thought, for the most part. But uh, I'm going to go Jaira Wilson, who played Sam linebacker. He looked good in coverage, looked good near the line of scrimmage. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him more. He, he got his first career start today and looked good. Uh, Jaira Wilson is, is my pick as returning player who stepped up the most. Yeah, um, like you mentioned, Omotosho, he's probably going to be my pick. Um, like I said, I think he was probably ECU's best player in the first half. He was making plays. He was making, he was hauling in catches that weren't necessarily easy ones either. He was getting up and making plays and getting open, which was huge. And I think given the chance, I think if he's given the opportunity to be a number one, number two type wide receiver, I think he can really capitalize it on capitalize on that this year and the power backer also asked who did not see many snaps today or you were expecting to see more contributions from um you know honestly they did so much rotating i feel like pretty much everybody i thought that was going to play played uh there was nobody that glaringly didn't play that was dressed out or that did not play that was dressed out um you know, defensive line-wise, they pretty much played everybody I thought it was going to play. You know, maybe I think as the season goes along, we'll see more Travion Freshwater, but he was able to get in there today. Um, you know, Xavier McIver, another really good freshman, played well. So I don't, I, I don't really think there there is anybody outside of maybe C.J. Johnson getting more snaps. But I think he really took himself out of the game with some of his play in the first half. What about you, Jonathan? Does anybody come to mind? Um, like you said, not anyone that was dressed, but I think it's we, – we've talked a lot about running backs here today. I think it's important to remember that Demetrius Mooney did not suit up today. And he's someone that I believe is going to be a factor in the backfield as the season progresses. So, I mean, if we thought it was split up between four or five guys today, that's only going to continue to me when Mooney is healthy and back able to play. Yeah, it is very important. He's a guy who led the team in rushing last year. Um, so it's, we can't forget about him. He was dressing on the sideline, but not uh, in uniform today. Uh, I should say he was in a jersey, not dressed out to play. So I think we'll see him going forward at some point. Uh, other guys who weren't dressed out, Nigel not the Alabama transfer. He was at least on the sideline. Uh, so Straws369 asked, what was wrong with Chris Willis? Uh, Chris Willis, the listed started defensive end, App State transfer, was not at the game. I don't know if it's a COVID situation or an injury, but uh, he was tweeting during the game, during pregame, so Chris Willis was not at the game. Uh, we'll keep an eye on his status going forward, but that's your most experienced defensive lineman, so that one hurts uh, for sure. And then Northeast Pirate with our final question tonight. Curious how the offensive line will grade out, if anyone played well, and what changes will be made. Well, Again, the offensive line, defensive line, it's always hard to just come off a game and, and say how they graded out because you really have to go back and watch the film, which I haven't done yet. But just from the naked eye, I would say, okay, not where they need to be. Didn't play up to the standard that maybe Mike Houston had. I thought they gave up way too many pressures. Holton was on the run too much. They rotated a lot at left guard and right guard. Uh, I thought Bailey Malovic at right tackle held his own, but did look overmatched. And at the end of the day, 
he looked overmatched at times, I should say, but at the end of the day, he was extremely beat up. He left the game with two or three different injuries. Hopefully he's okay. Deontay Smith left the game. I don't know if it was a concussion or what, but he just kind of fell down. I hate to laugh at it, but he was lined up and fell down. And it did not look good. So uh, I thought Nashad Strother from the naked eye as a first-time starter looked pretty good. Fernando Fry did pretty good at center. And then they rotated Sean Bailey and Avery Jones at left guard. I think left guard's got to continue to improve just based off what I saw. But that that's something I really want to reserve judgment on until I go back and watch the film. Did you have any uh, initial takeaways from the O-line? I think moving forward, in my eyes, I think it's going to, at least for a couple weeks, continue to be a little bit of a revolving door with some new guys in there. Um, some transfers, some guys that you mentioned are banged up. So I think the offensive line isn't going to be maybe how they envisioned it preseason for a little bit. So I think they're going to continue trying some guys out. So hopefully they can figure it out and find a starting five that works for them. All right, well, that'll do it for the questions on our post-game ECU-UCF podcast, and that'll do it for the podcast. Jonathan, uh, really appreciate the the time today and uh, appreciate you being alongside covering the game and then taking some time afterwards to recap things. And uh, Georgia State next week, hopefully we have uh, a game to talk about first off and hopefully at the end of the day a Pirate win. We'll see how things go as of right now, scheduled for 12 noon next week. We'll have a uh, preview pod on the way. But, Jonathan, I appreciate the time for uh, joining us tonight and and breaking things down. Yeah, man, no problem. Looking forward to continuing with the podcast down down throughout the year. That's Jonathan Wagner, the Hoist the Colors intern and contributor. And I am Steven Igo. It's been fun watching football again. Wish we could bring you better news, but hopefully next week we can. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll see you next week to preview, hopefully, a matchup versus Georgia State.